thank you for joining us on Three Women, Three Ways. We're the show that tackles some tough topics. And I think today, we ha- I, you know, I say this every week. I, I, I say every week is a tough topic because it, it is a tough topic. We, we deal with a lot of tough things here. But one of the things that oftentimes puts fear in the hearts of women is the, are the two words breast cancer. And we're doing a show on breast cancer today, but I think it's going to be a little different from any other show you've ever heard on about breast cancer. And I have a guest with me. I have Heidi Wallace. Hi, Heidi. Hi, Heather. Thanks for this opportunity. I really appreciate it. Oh, you're welcome. So Heidi Wallace is with me. And Heidi, how do you, you want to explain how you and I know each other? Or shall I? Um, sure. Uh, well, um, how about you? You start, and then I'll fill in some details if you. Need some? How's that? Okay. Well, Heidi and I <laughs> okay. are both both have have had breast cancer, and that's how we met. I I participated in a program. I always laugh, Heidi, and say that you know if you expect me to put on my pink turban and you know run the five k, it's not going to happen because breast cancer is not my identity. It's not my cause. It's not what I'm structuring my life around. But nevertheless, there was an opportunity at the hospital where I had some surgeries. And it was a uh, trout fishing trip on a on a river, sitting in a boat in the sun and dangling your fish in the water with nice young men who would bait your hook for you and lunch on a little island. And it just sounded so wonderful that I signed up for it. And that's how I met Heidi. A bunch of us women got on a bus and Heidi was one of them. And she had come back as kind of a big sister thing for the, the group that I was, was with. I wish they would change the rules so that you could go every year. I would do it every year. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, w- I wish I wish they would. I I'd go all the time just because it's just so much fun and it's just and and a lot of people they don't get the connection. You know, what the heck does breast cancer have to do with fly fishing? <laughs> and um and I I thought about that a lot and and I I figured it out. So, you, you know, when you, when you when you fly fish I I'm sorry, what? I said, so what is the connection? I haven't figured it out. Oh, oh, okay. So, so when you fly fish, it one requires a, a tremendous amount of patience, and what you have to do because you have to wait for that fly to come back, you have to actually take your your pole and you have to pause. And during that time frame, um, I suggested to to my fellow breast cancer survivors that during that time frame, you, you think of all the crap that you've gone through with this lovely thing called breast cancer. All the crap, like the if you had to go to chemo, the T Rex arms, after you had your bilateral mastectomy. I mean, all this this crap. The people that you thought were your friends, and and they just kind of abandoned you, and and you you really find out so many things. And anyway, during that time frame, when you when you have to take that line and and pause before you cast out, you take all that crap, and and you just you think about it, and then you you pause. And then you have to release your line. You just let that crap go, and and that's that's where the connection is between you know being a breast cancer survivor and fly fishing, and that's that's well, just I how I figured it out. I think we should write a book on that. <laughs> but, uh, years and years and years ago, I read a book called Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Racing, and it was really a lovely book. I loved the book. It took me forever to read it, though, because I'd read, like, two pages, and I'd go, whoa, the insights here. Ooh, whoa. You know, it wasn't like a page turner. That you, you know, it took, a, took me a long time. But we could we could do kind of like that, you know, uh, Zen and the Art of Fly yeah, we, Fishing with Breast Cancer. And, and we could, like, turn it into a coloring book, you know, because those are still big. And, yeah. 
Only we can write the breast cancer coloring book. That yeah, would wouldn't that be fun? Yeah, we could probably, if we do that right, we could probably sell that to men too, you know. Um. We, yeah, because, you know, 10% of, of the men out there that, people that have breast cancer are men. People forget about that. You know, that's interesting because I was looking at some statistics, you know, for the show, and it's not mm-hmm. 10%. Flash on my, my statistics here. And of course, it's not going to come up. The statistics are not going to come up. Here we go. Here we go. Let's let me let me click here. Uh, see how well prepared I am for this, Holly. I, I you know I usually try to do a little bit of homework, but you know what can I tell you? Okay, overall estimates of breast cancer in the United States. Okay, here we go. In 2018, U.S. women, uh, 266,120 new cases of invasive breast cancer will be diagnosed. Now that's just the invasive. It's not the one, the the kind that's not invasive. But with men, it'll be two thousand five hundred. So, I'm looking for a statistic. I don't know. Can you do math in your head that fast? Anyway, it's yeah, but that right sounds now. like it's just like a just a, a smaller percentage, like about around ten percent. It, it sounds no, like it. I guess you're right. You have, I guess you're right. Yeah. You know, if two hundred and sixty-six uh, thousand. So 10% would be about right. 260,000. It's actually a little less than 10%, I guess, at least for 2018. Right, yeah. So, it was like, yeah. Mm-hmm. But that's still, yeah. that's still, you know, men, I don't, I don't, you know, vision in my head men doing a, a breast exam, but maybe they should start pushing that. I don't know. I don't know. And and I wonder <laughs> I if there's a correlation with, but but I'm yeah. wondering if there's a correlation between um, if there's breast cancer in, in a family if it's in your family, and if you're a male, if you need to start getting screened, I, I, I wonder. I wonder if men need to start getting mastectomies. I think they should get their boobs squished, too. Yeah. I think that would be well, fun. Everybody it, always complains about those mammograms, but, you know, to tell you the truth, I always thought, eh, not a big deal. It's a few seconds, and that's done with. And if that's the worst thing I ever have to experience, no, you know, I'm lucky. But I know a lot of women who, you know, really are uncomfortable. Were you really uncomfortable with those mammograms? No, there wasn't a lot there. And it was kind of amazing to see how flat your your real boobs could get. It was kind of cool, I thought. Well, it, well, it didn't never bother me. <laughs> but once you're, you know, once you get past the, the breastfeeding age, I mean, all they are are little, you know, little bags of fat anyway. I mean, you know, they're not exactly... <laughs> You see how disrespectful I am when it comes to the whole breast cancer thing. But you know, I mean, they're they're really not too serious. You know? yeah. No, and but they 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 you know, and and when when you do have to go through what we've been through, it's it's, it's kind of a tough decision whether you want to just go with the prosthetic breast or or if you want to you know get the reconstruction like like we've done. So it's it's just it's it's a personal preference and and um I, I'm very honest with women. If they come to me and ask me questions, I'll tell them, hey, those prosthetic breasts, even though they say they're light, they're not, and they're sweaty and they're yucky. Mm-hmm. And well, and don't use a knitted doctor when you first go back to work. <laughs> well, and I know with my mother who had also she died of breast cancer, and her mother died of breast cancer. And um, my mother went with prosthesis, and she, you know, I mean, she lost 10 pounds. She, her balance would be off because she, when, when she, her insurance would only pay for a new prosthesis once a year. So if she lost or gained weight, she wouldn't have balance until she could get a new one, you know, however many months down the road. 
I never realized that I knew I'd read somewhere that if you lose your little toes, that, that has something to do with balance, but nobody ever tells you that your boobs have something to do with balance. Yeah, I never, I never thought of that connection, but I, I guess they do. I, I don't know. Yeah, well, I, I, when you, you don't have a heck of a lot to begin with, <laughs> I guess you don't, you don't think that, 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 that you know it, um, it, it affects your balance. Yeah. Well, I always had, you know, some some stuff to spare there, more than I needed to. I remember Golf Pro once trying to teach me how to how to how to swing a golf club, <laughs> and uh-huh. he looked at me and he goes my wife can't swing a club either. And I went, oh, she doesn't know how to play golf. And he goes, no, she's built like you. <laughs> uh, oh, no. <laughs> We've gone down that road as far as we're going to go, okay? Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so I think, you know, what I, I, I don't know. Are you all done with doctor's appointments? Because I still have another couple coming up. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask him. I'm going to ask him what breasts weigh. Oh, I think it's all the yeah. I wonder. I don't know what they they weigh. I don't know. I've never I weighed my prosthetic breasts. I gave them away. <laughs> I gave them away to to a woman who who couldn't afford prosthetic um, breasts because she mm. um, didn't have the insurance. So I waited instead of giving them to a charity that that could have uh of uh, you know would have just had them sit on a shelf. I actually found someone mm. who needed fake boobs and wanted to be a girl again and so yeah so yeah. I gave mine away isn't that funny how that works I mean I thought that I was prepared for my mastectomies I really was I I, I felt like you know this isn't the end of the world and you know what's going to happen and yet when it does it still hits you doesn't it oh yeah and it, and you just feel like the ugliest person in the whole wide world and and you just feel so isolated and so alone and and it it's it's just it, it's horrific um you know those, yeah. those well, you stars have that are yeah you have to give up your oh, yeah. career right then yeah <laughs> yeah i, I mean, know i i had know. to do that that yeah, was that was yeah. that was a hard thing for me to to give up. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I know those tips add up, don't they? <laughs> yeah, I, I know, and and it, and you know, I couldn't tuck dollar bills in my bra anymore unless I was wearing like a prosthetic <laughs> boob. It it was just it was just hard. It was just so I yeah. I you know the burden the burden you know. I um, know the thing but, we do is for uh, being a woman. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, when we're talking, I mean, clearly we're we're not keeping any secrets here. Both of us have had you had bilateral mastectomies, right? I did. did I you? did. Yep. Yeah. So did, so did I, I had a, and I had yeah. DCIS in the left, and um, and uh, Dr. McCormick liked to call my cancer in the right breast. It was about one centimeter in circumference, and it had already metastasized to um, to stage two. And they didn't find that uh, and on a regular uh, mammogram. They found that because they did an, uh, an MRI, and so that's where women have. Oh, really? Yeah. See, that's where you have to be your own advocate, and and you have to you have to do the research, talk to other survivors, and find out. Otherwise. I would have been fighting stage four, as would you right now. We would be, and we would be on death's door, doorstep right now. So, well, I went, I went to the same place to have my my mammograms for for you know decades. I really did. And the last two times that I went, the last two years that I went, 
he said, we're now recommending that you have an MRI, and you know, in six months, and then you have the MRI, you know, once a year, and then your mammogram once a year, because they pick up different types of cancers. And so I said, oh, okay. And so I called my insurance company, and I said, oh, I need an MRI. And that was right about the time healthcare was changing dramatically a couple of years ago. And I, could, I went to my family doc. I couldn't, you know, she wrote a referral, but then they wouldn't do the referral. And then they'd only send me 40 miles away to get it. And I'm thinking, if you think that I'm going to drive into downtown Seattle, right, forget it, you know. And uh, mm-hmm. it took forever. And I, to tell you the truth, just didn't pursue it because it was too much of a pain in the neck. And then the next year when I had the mammogram, that was also clear. And he said, now we need you to have um, um, an MRI because you're high risk. My mother, my mother's mother, you know. And so I thought, boy, I better get on the stick here. So again, I fought and it took me pretty close to seven months before I got the insurance to approve the expenditure. And That's when I went crazy. in, bam, it was there. It was already invasive. And my mammogram seven months earlier was clear. Wow. Wow. Yeah, so, isn't that, isn't that yeah. scary? That's just scary that it can, it can happen that quickly. And and if you forget yeah. to get a mammogram, because, you know, we get busy as women. We've got families and stuff to do and, and you know, yeah. place to go and people to see and and. We really have to learn and force ourselves to take that time to take care of us. Otherwise, well, for me, what good yeah, are we dead? Yeah, exactly. Well, for me, I mean, I yeah. had that incentive of knowing that my, I, have, I was high risk. My mom had died of it. It turns out, you know, after, after the surgery, they did all of those genetic tests. I don't have the BRCA gene. I don't have it. So, wow. you know, the... The fact that I, I had breast cancer, and so did my mother. And now I don't know whether my mother had it, um, you know, with her mother. Um, but I actually didn't have it, which was a relief to me for my daughter. Although we do tend to put too much emphasis on that stupid test, because that really only increases your chances by about 10%, doesn't it? Yeah, something like that. And, and you know, 75% of the women out there that, that are diagnosed with breast cancer do not even have a history of it in their family. No one right. on either side of my family had breast cancer. I was just lucky to get it. Yay! Woo! <laughs> you got the lucky pink ribbon. Yay! <laughs> Yay! And I hate pink. I really do. I, you know, I'm not a big now, pink don't fan. Say you never got it. Don't ever say you never want anything now, okay? Oh, yeah, I know. I'm a big wiener. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, but I'll tell you, you know, getting back to that where you have to advocate for yourself, I think think every step of the way you have to advocate for yourself. You have to, and, and excuse me, but my experience with insurance companies is pretty horrendous. I mean, I think insurance companies, whoa, you know, I mean, we, somebody, we, our culture, you know, we've given them way too much power way too much power Mm -hmm. in my view. Um, When some guy can sit in an office and decide whether or not I can have a particular test based on statistics, you know, you can take your statistics, salt and pepper them and eat them for dinner. I don't care. Uh, You know, I, I want a test if I think I'm at risk for something. I, you know, I ran into that with the pap smears. All of a sudden one day they said, Oh, you're too old for a pap smear. And I went, what? I, don't women my age get get uh, cervical cancer? Oh yes, but it's so slow acting, and I'm going slow acting. What? I mean, like forty years? I mean, I'm planning on living another forty years there. You know, how slow acting mm-hmm. is this cervical cancer? And who gets to decide 
that I get the, you know, I, no, uh, you know, <laughs> I'll want that pap smear. What's it going to cost? A hundred bucks? I'll pay for it myself, you know. Um, but, you know, th- there's, there are people who don't, you know, I mean, I, I'm sure most people are well-meaning, but insurance companies exist to make money. Just Right, like, you know, right. They're like, all about their, yes, their bottom line. You know, yeah. Yeah. So you have to you have to roll up your sleeves, and especially after you get a diagnosis like ours, you just you you roll up your sleeves and you have to go to battle. You have to go to battle and make sure you get what you need. I'm, I mean, I remember going in the day before an eleven hour surgery that I was scheduled to have. I got an, a phone call from the hospital saying, "Well, you're going to have to sign this thing saying that you agree to pay the debt." I mean, we're talking what a hundred and something thousand dollars for a surgery. And because your insurance hasn't given the go-ahead. And I'm going, whoa, you know, they, I, what? <laughs> you know, I don't want to pay something saying that I'm going to pay, what, I, what was it, $120,000? You know, no. Um, that's why I have the insurance. I mean, I know I'm going to have to pay something out of pocket, but no, you know. <laughs> and and right, so right. Not, not, not too much to worry about because by law they have to pay. Well, yeah, but pardon me, I've been around the block a few times, and I know that sometimes what people have to and what they do do are two separate things, and if I've signed a document saying that I'm going to be on the, on the no, and so I called the insurance company, and I thought I, I had to call other states, I had to, you know, I mean, it was crazy how these companies worked, and I, I finally, I was getting nowhere, and I finally said to the representative that was talking to me on the phone, and I think every woman should know this for everything, I said, okay, I understand what you're saying, that you can't move faster on this, even though my surgery has been scheduled for four months. I understand that you can't move fast enough. I also understand that while we're talking, you're typing on your computer screen a little summary of what this conversation has entailed. And I want to make sure that before we hang up, you also type in that I have just opened the website for filing a complaint with the state insurance commissioner. Because as soon as I hang up, that's what I'm going to do. I went in the next morning at 5 a.m. and they said, your insurance approved it this morning. Wow. See, a lot of women don't have that kind of ammunition. They don't, they don't know. They, we, there needs to be better education out there. How do women handle catastrophic, you know, situations? It, yeah, because the absolutely. bulk of all that other crap is, is run by some big mucky muck that's usually a man, and they could care less about us because the, the ultimate thing out there is to kill off our women. Let's just, you know, not <laughs> – we don't care. But if you have prostate yeah. cancer, oh, heck, let's get you in, mister. Yeah. Well, you'll find <laughs> you don't get you taken care of. That. I, I've actually talked to some men, older men who are on Medicare, who have told me that it's mm-hmm. almost impossible. They get the same thing with, the, well, prostate cancer is slow acting, and so it's not cost effective to do this test every year. I have heard men say that. So I guess I can't get on my, my feminist soapbox, even though I enjoy doing that. <laughs> Um, when it when it comes to the, the prostate cancer, you know, um, but it, it prostate cancer is typically much slower going than breast cancer. Even the most, even the the slowest breast cancers seem to catch fire faster than the prostate cancer does. In in most cases, not always, you know. Um, but 
I think that the, you know, who gets breast cancer? I mean, the young people who get it, it's real. it's like, whoa, that's bad news. When you get older and you get it, it's kind of like, uh-huh, okay, here's breast cancer knocking at my door. Do you see it that way? Um, yeah, I, I kind of do. I mean, I, I, I was fine. I was healthy and I was good to go. And then I turned 50 and all of a sudden there was a pile of poop and a fan and then the poop hit the fan and all the stuff that I never thought what I would ever have to deal with started happening to me. And, um, yeah. So I thought 50 was going to be easy. Everybody said 50 is the new 30. And I'm like, yeah, awesome. Okay. But it wasn't. So for the last three years, I've been battling my butt off. Yeah. Yeah. And it is hard. And, and I think, Heidi, you're like me. I mean, we, we tend to, uh, if we can laugh at it, we can beat it, you know? Um, and, right. And actually, and actually, there's a comedian. Uh, have you ever heard of Tig um, no, Notaris? Her name is no, Tig Notaris. Um, I'm sure you've probably seen her if you saw her face. But she does, she had uh, bilateral mastectomies in 2012. And she dealt with it with humor. And she said the reaction of her audiences when she would make a joke about breast cancer was, it was so mixed. And, you know, she wasn't, you know, but there are funny things about it. You know, I mean, there are funny things, even in the worst situations, there are some funny things if you, if you choose to look at it. Right. And, 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 and yeah, I have heard of her. In fact, my um, oldest daughter was like, "Mom, you got to see this lady. She's hilarious." And she mm-hmm. chose to not, you know, get re- reconstruction, and she's just hilarious. And and so I did. I watched her stuff, and then I'd like an opportunity, maybe one time in my life, to maybe at least see a show. If not one day, maybe meet her. Yeah. If, if I get so lucky, that would be really cool. Um, we should if we get a, a bunch we of breast cancer. Vagina monologue. We should do a vagina monologue, but do it for the breast cancer. Yeah, that would be fun. Yeah, and and, and have the monies go. Yeah, go go for something not not the big charity they have out there because people forget that um, you're paying a big, huge CEO of yeah. of um, certain charities, so you have to vet those really really good and um oh, yeah. and just and because go, they paid it, paid yeah, it doesn't mean that they're giving a big chunk of it, you know, to breast. They might give a tiny bit. Um, but just because they paint it pink and sell it to you, I mean, it's a marketing ploy. It's not, you know, then that way you can. Right. I, I love this term. That, then that way you can congratulate yourself that you've done something good for the world. You know, I learned this term about a year ago, and I just love this term. It just speaks to me. Virtue signaling. Have you ever heard that? No. Uh-uh. <laughs> Virtue signaling. That term was coined by some guy in England about a year or so ago. And it means people who do good so that everybody can see that they've done good and so they can feel good about themselves. It doesn't have anything to do with just the inherent need to try to improve a situation. It has to do with making sure you get the props and making sure that you can pat yourself on the back for this good, virtuous thing that you've done. And I love that term because I think that's what a lot of the, you know, I mean, the pink mixers and the pink baseball bats and the pink, you know, you really Mm -hmm. have to question how much of that money is going to, and an actual, you know, the actual research, or I think that um, a lot of this money should also go to help support women. I mean, even when you're well insured, you, you get hit with money. I mean, it's pricey. 
<laughs> it, it is. is. It's expensive. No, and, and you know, fake boobs cost a lot of money. Boot, you know, yeah. bras that, that, that the prosthetics actually fit in cost a lot of money. Um, oh, uh, simple things like, like, the what? They cost like hundreds of dollars now. Oh yeah, oh yeah, and 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 things that you don't even think about, like a handheld shower, um, because you can't, you need a handheld shower. Um, you have to go buy an electric razor because you can't get in there and shave your your armpits, let alone if you had lymphedema, you know, like like I did. You can't get in there. You have to rock the the European, you know. Armpits for a while, and you know, just these little things that you don't think about. No one tells you about until you have no. to experience it. Yeah, and and it adds yeah. up. It adds up. Yeah, going really back does. and forth and to the doctor. God, and and all these hospitals pay. You have to pay for parking, and I'm thinking, wait a minute, isn't it? The yeah, going and yeah, a couple brand. You don't they... need to fork over six bucks to, for the privilege of parking here. You know, I mean, what is with that? I mean, they should be like a free pass, like a Disney pass, like a fast pass or something. When when yeah. you go to ride a, ride a Disney <laughs> land, oh yes, cancer, here's a fast pass. Yeah, you get him for free. Yay! Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Now, see if we were running the world, you know, and and I don't want to yeah. run the whole world, but let's just run let's just run the breast cancer world, shall we? Or the you know yeah. The- <laughs> we we should. It should be the Heather and Heidi show. And we'll just run the breast cancer world. You and you and I are going to run the cancer world. And the first thing we're going to do is we're going to stop charging people to park at the hospitals. That sounds like a great plan to me. Um, you know, I mean, if you're this is an urban thing, being charged for a hospital. It's a high population area. You go to the the boonies. I mean, my daughter was in, just in the the hospital in a Portland suburb. There was no charge for the hospital. I mean, you know. I mean, it's, that's just a real urban thing, and we live in an urban area. But, boy, I'm highly offended when I have to fork over money to park my car so I can go in and, you know, get poked and prodded and spend more money. I, that just bugs me. <laughs> well, yeah, and, and you think about the people that visit you in the hospital when you're when you're going through all this stuff. And, mm-hmm. and, and you know, they've got to pay the same amount of money unless they, they find a parking space on the road. Um, and, yeah. and then they have to walk, and it's just... I don't. It's just an inconvenience, and who's getting fat off of that? Not us. <laughs> no, they t- they they hire that out to somebody. So some corporation is doing that, you know. But uh, yeah, it just you know all these little things you don't think about. Let's talk a little bit about the reconstruction. Now we talked about this comedian who clearly decided no reconstruction. She's going to go as she is. That's her new body, and she's fine with it. Um, although she, I listened to one of her routines, and she she even though she made that choice. Uh, it did take an adjustment for her. Now, you chose, I, I mean, is it okay what we talk about? That You chose the procedure that oh, yeah, yeah. What I chose for reconstruction. Right. And you you chose the implants. Is that right? Right. I, I, I chose to go with the expanders, and, and uh-huh. that's where they, they put temporary implants in, and then they, they pump, pump them up. <laughs> and you get to yeah. choose every, what, every what size you want that. your breasts to be. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. But then they have to take those out, don't they? Isn't that a little surgical procedure they, to put in the other one? Yeah, so what they do is 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 when you achieve the the um the size that you want, they'll pump them up one more time. So you go in weekly um and you go into the doctor's office and they take a needle and they pump saline into them and 
and and it stretches your skin and it hurts like heck. But yeah, you know, we do all kinds of crazy stuff to be uh, a woman. <laughs> not only does it hurt, because uh, I had that as a as a as a procedure in preparation for the other procedure that I had. So they put in those things, and oh my gosh, you touch your skin in the first place. This nobody ever told me this, but you're numb. You don't have sensation through your chest and boobs anymore, even though they're they're no. building. Even though there's bumps there, you don't you don't feel anything. And so here you've got these bumps that they they are pumping the saline into. So the bumps are getting bigger, but you do feel that it hurts. And the, when you touch your skin with those expanders in there, it's like touching a tire. It is not soft and comfy. It is, oh. Part in the middle where they do the, you know, where they pump in the, you know, where the needle goes in and they have to to pump up. Yeah, it's 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 not very fun. But no, but it it's it, no, yeah. but it's it's there's there's it's the price you pay if you want to go through reconstruction in that way. Um, some women, yeah. you know, get they get they get the bilateral mastectomy and they wake up with boobs. I wasn't lucky enough to to do that. Um, no. You know, so and, and the you know, I, that's the other right. thing that nobody tells you about is all the different ways they can do this. There's, you know, they, they can do a procedure where they, for some people where there's nipple saving procedures, there's some where there's skin saving procedure, there's some where you don't, have, you know, they try to save some of the skin, but then they have to put those expanders in to try and get the stretch the skin so that you have more skin, uh, unless you're going to be a size triple A for the rest of your life. And, you know, and then with the expanders, what then what I did is after the expanders, then I went in and I had what's called the deep flap procedure. And that's where they take your own body material. And um, I always thought they just kind of scooped it out with a melon scoop and popped it up into the new place. But they don't. They have to, like, feed it under your abdomen skin and stuff. I mean, it's just very complicated. Um, but, you know, for me, it was like, I, I, I don't know. I just couldn't picture being 80 years old with these, you know, perky boobs, like, a, you know, and everything else was, you know, shifting and, and drifting and, you know, gravity is having its way with me. And all of a sudden there's this 80 year old woman with boobs out to here, you know, I mean, I just, I couldn't picture that. <laughs> it, well, yeah. And, and it, it, the, so, so after they take out the, the expanders, then you have to let that heal. And then they go in and they put in the actual implants and they don't feel like your old boobs do. They, you can pick saline, but saline. Well, if you if one fails, then you know right away because it looks like a flat pancake, and there's water all over the place, and you're like, oh, well, well, I mean, it's it's inside your body, but you know, yeah. and and so the 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 gel, even though they got a bad rap many years ago. Um, and I don't know, you know, I wonder if someone was just getting rich off of that or, or maybe there was some that were leaking. I don't know. But I, I decided to go with the gel implants because they did feel, um, I guess as natural as I was going to get because I, I've been through so many different surgeries and, and so many different things that happened to me in that lot in my life at that moment, um, that I didn't want to have to make it more complicated. And and maybe it was yeah. because a, a lot of it was because of uh, I just started a new job and thank God I had insurance and that, you know, my union covered me and, and I didn't lose my job. Um, and, and my kids were younger and, and um, 
my, you know, I, I just didn't want to have to make it a, a total inconvenience for, for my family. And I wanted to do, I guess, kind of the Evelyn Wood speed reading version of, of getting your boobs put in and, and get back to life again. I wanted to do it as quick well, as, and as uncomplicated as possible. Yeah, I think that we all want that. We just want it to be back to something that looks like normal. I mean, it's not going to be right. normal. I mean, it. I mean, I remember asking my doctor, "Oh, I, I don't, I can't feel things. I mean, I, I feel like I have this, this, this tight band across my chest, underneath the flesh." And I said, "I don't really, you know, there's areas that are just numb. I have no feeling." And I said, "When will that come back?" And he said, "A years. It'll be years." And I went, "What? Nobody told me that. Years? No, okay. no. Yeah, they, they." Yeah, they, they don't tell you those things, they, and you don't think to ask those questions, and yeah. and you know you you don't think to ask them until after it happens to you. Like right now, um, my boobs literally feel like they're gonna pop, and so I know that I need to go back to the lymphedema clinic, and and I need to go get um, some work done so I can get back to yeah. to feeling somewhat normal. Yeah, <laughs> they do. They well, feel like they're gonna pop. Well, that's the other thing, too. I mean, it, it goes on a long time. I mean, I think I, my thought, even even knowing what my mother went through, but my mother didn't have any reconstruction. She just she had a, a single mastectomy and then the um, prosthesis. So her mastectomy was her surgery, and she didn't have any after that. For me, and I think for most people now, there's some sort of reconstruction, and that involves more procedures and stuff. And I don't think... I, I thought, okay, I'll have my mastectomies, and then you can build it up, and then you can do this, and in three, four, five months, I'll, be, I'll look like I'm normal. I'll feel more like a normal person. But no, you're talking a year or a year and a half um, before all of this stuff is done, depending on what you have. And then even when it's done, sometimes it's not done, and you have to go back. Um, and people right. don't talk about yeah. that. You know, no, they don't. Then, they don't. They don't talk about. Yeah, they don't talk about you know nipple reconstruction. How that's another surgery. They don't talk about cosmetic tattoos and and it, if you want to go that route and and it's or you can just rock the foobs or the Elmer Fudds like like a lot of women like to call them where they don't even get the nipple reconstruction and they look like a bald man's head. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. so I mean, it's a personal I mean, preference. I'm going to tell you a story. I, I um, when I had my uh, was scheduling the surgeries, um, my uh, my high school reunion was coming up, and I hadn't been to one, and ever before. And I had decided that I was going to go to this this high school reunion. It's way in a different state, thousands of miles away, and I just thought I'd love to see what happened to, to some of these people, you know, and and how they turned out and everything. And so I had had it in my head that I would, you know, uh, drive cross country and go to my high school reunion. And then I got the breast cancer, and so I was talking to the reconstructive surgeon, and we were trying to schedule things. And I said, well, if I have this surgery the last day in July, uh, part of the reconstructive surgery, I said, will I be able to go to my high school reunion the 1st of September, which is like, you know, four weeks away, five weeks away. And he thought about it, and, and he said, yes, yes, I think that you can. You won't have nipples, but I think you can go. And he said, but then I don't suppose at your high school reunion you care to show anybody your nipples. And I said, I don't know. There's a couple boys that if they're still alive, I might be interested. And I don't <laughs> – his, his nurse laughed, laughed 
<laughs> and and he just kind of looked at me and blinked like, what? You know, what? <laughs> what did this woman just say? <laughs> and I was telling my daughter about this, and she was laughing, and she said, well, Mom, what we can do, you know those dried up peas that you, you, know, that you can get, those dehydrated peas? She said, what we can do is we can get one of those and then get one of those little, a, a couple of those little circular Band-Aids and just put that in the center of the circular Band-Aid, put the circular Band-Aid on, on your bumps, and from the outside, from, you know, outside your shirt, I'll look at, at like you have nipples. And I went, well, that's great, except I'm going to a horribly hot place the first week of August. I'm going to smell like ham and split the time they serve dessert. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know. But, yeah, that was my story. I, the, the surgeons aren't known for their senses of humor, They, you know, and I sometimes throw them for a loop. Did Did you do that? Did you find that in relating to your doctors they were kind of like, Looking at you like what? <laughs> well, yeah, because because here I I mean, Dr. Backstad is awesome. I would come in with like um, a, a Spamalot shirt with the the black knight on it that said, um, uh, um, "What did it say? I'm not quite dead yet," and and. And it's just a flesh wound, and he would just laugh because, because <laughs> in in that's what I was I was mocking what I'm going through. That's why I I you will see me wearing a shirt that says yes they're fake my real ones tried to kill me, um because it's what I've gone through. It doesn't define me, but but I I laugh at it you know and and I and I try to make it more comfortable or a conversation piece because when when you get that diagnosis of cancer, you know um. That people tend to kind of like, like they're going to catch it. Yeah, I don't think yeah. so. But, but what, whatever. Um, but yeah, some some doctors, um, I <laughs> I would wear different t-shirts and different things with 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 different sayings. You know, like fight like a girl and like I said, yes or fake. My real ones tried to kill me, and they would go, oh yeah, I guess so. Yeah, that that, that was mm-hmm. how they took it. But there was some doctors out there that that have a a wonderful sense of humor and. And those are the ones that that I just adored. Yes, and and it's so nice. You you do develop a relationship with your doctor. I know um, my surgeon, and um, you know, I she wasn't your surgeon, but you, I think you've worked with her. Um, she they actually have a, an annual get together for all the women who've been in that particular hospital in that particular group um they have an uh, an end of summer little party and all the women get together and they meet each other and you know i always say that you know i i'm i'm not going to be like i said i'm not going to be the one you know putting on the 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 pink you know um um tennis shoes and you know doing going and you know putting on the pink turban and going and running the 5k you know this this is not the definition of me but it is a piece of me no, now no it's a, it is a piece of me. And so while I don't particularly um, want to participate in breast cancer awareness activities and stuff like that, because I, I like to work in other fields that perhaps don't have as much attention dedicated to them. Um, but nevertheless, this is a piece of me. And I thought, I found it just delightful um, last fall when I went for the first time, or I guess it was the spring, I went for the first time to this this party that, you know, a couple of the doctors organize and, you know, I, I mean, it was lovely to meet other women, you know, wonderful women and, and who've all had a similar experience. And, um, and it's surprising to me that although there was some talk about cancer and treatments and whatever, for the most part, it was just a bunch of women who have a similarity, something in common 
and sharing their lives and sharing a fun afternoon. Yeah, and it's a, it's a it's a ton of fun, and it's so nice to know that there's women out there that you're not the only one going through yeah. this this journey. And and it's nice to hear all of their stories, what they had to go through, if they had to go through chemo, if they had to go through radiation, yeah. if they didn't, you know, um, uh, was there onca score? What what was it? Um, did so they you know they didn't have to have a port put in, which I was so grateful that I didn't have to go through that. And and it oh, was just, it, it's just it's just so nice to to know that there's other women out there, and you feel sorry for when you when you look around and you see women that you saw at casting call like the year before, and then um, they they don't show up, and then you wonder about them. Well, are they okay? Are they gonna make it? Yeah. Yeah. And and yeah. you just hope and pray that they do, because there are some women out there that don't beat this stuff, and and so far, knock on wood. I have some um, wood in my garage uh, that I just knocked on, and um, that that you know we we make it, and that that it doesn't define us. We choose to def- to let it define us as women. And if you want to go around and just be known as that, then by all means do it. But I choose just to go on this journey and not, and and you know hopefully never revisit this again. I'm hoping yeah. it's done. Yeah, exactly. Well, and in fact, it does come back. That's why I chose, uh, although I had uh, cancer only on, on one side, I chose to have them uh, both breasts removed um, because I do know a lot of people who, you know, go through the battle once and they think they have it licked and four or five years later, bingo, something comes up on the other side. And I decided I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to take that risk. And so if I was going to fight a battle, I wanted to just fight it all once and be done with it. Um, and there have been so many strides, really. I, you know, so many people in my, in my family, everybody in my family almost has died of one form of cancer or another. And to tell you the truth, I almost feel guilty with all of the stuff, all of the opportunities, all of the support that breast cancer patients get, as opposed to some of the other cancers. Did you ever have that experience where you kind of felt a little like, whoa, you know? This is nice. At the same time, yeah, and 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 I I did I have a I had an aunt Carol that um, was diagnosed with cancer just a little before I was, and it was it was, had metastasized and and gone to her brain and and I remember her taking me aside and saying we're going to beat this Heidi, and 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 I told her you know yes Auntie Carol we're going to beat this, and she didn't make it she ended up passing away from her cancer, and um and you know I wish there were more choices out there other than than just the the chemos and the radiations and the poisons that they stick in your body and and you know the, the stuff that just makes makes you shrill, you know shrink away to to nothing um yeah. i wish that that there was a way to just get it all cut out and you'd be good to go yeah but she had a long <laughs> long life and yeah. and um you know I, every day that was my last no. living aunt. Yeah. Yeah, it's, you know, I mean, although we do make light of it and we try to look on the positive sides of everything, but, you know, the fact is that people do die of this. Um, you know, my mother lived with it for many years before she died, um, but she did die of breast cancer. And, um, you know, I mean, you can't ignore that fact. But on the other hand, many, many more women every year survive it. As a matter of fact, I'm looking at um, 
Uh, let me see. And uh, the, this is from the Susan G. Komen uh, Foundation statistics. Um, and they said that um, breast cancer mortality have, uh, they slowly increased from 1975 through the 80s. And they think that mostly that was because of the increase in diagnosing it, you know. Um, but mm-hmm. then that from, could be. You know, be, I mean, before, you know, people would die and they'd go, well, maybe she had this or maybe that, you know, but anyway. Um, but then from 1989 until 2015, which is the most recent data, it's decreased by 39%. That's phenomenal. In other words, yeah. In other words, more than 320,000 people who probably would have been dead if they'd had their cancer a decade earlier uh, or two decades earlier lived because we've improved detection. We've been able to see it sooner and they're able to uh, get rid of it faster. And the other thing that we didn't talk about is the follow-up. Um, after you have this, even I, I think a lot of people think that chemo and radiation, and certainly those are options and, and treatments that are recommended for a lot of women depending on the type and severity of the cancer. But there's also, they, they check the genomes. They do genetic testing on these tumors. They see what the tumors react to. They give you medications. Um, you know, they, they, you, you can take a pill for five years, you know, that, that for the most part, you're probably not even going to notice that you're taking. Um, and that will help eliminate the chance of that, that cancer coming back. So there's so many things that we can do now um, that couldn't be done 10, 20, or 30 years ago. And that's just really, you know, that, that's cool, right? Yeah, no, it is. It's phenomenal. And, and you know, and I never thought I would have to battle this kind of a disease. I thought I was invincible. I thought I was superwoman. And um, well, you this were, humbled me. You were superwoman. I mean, you had a, <laughs> a military career. You had, I mean, you you know, I mean, gosh, you, you did so much and you were so active and, you know, um, you, you, you were almost invincible, but, you know, cancer doesn't care. No, it doesn't care. It, it could care less. It could care less. It, it'll hit anybody. It doesn't care how much money you make, if you're poor, if you're rich. If it wants to get you, it'll it'll get you. And they got me. But I really think I really think it was it was a way to. I'm sorry. <laughs> the, the, I oh no! Say, <laughs> I live. The longer we live, the more likely we will develop a cancer. You know, and and that's true. Yeah, so, and you know, back in the eighteen hundreds, this was old age. Being fifty was like senior citizen. So I guess no, that's true. a good thing. I don't know. <laughs> my my mother was a grandmother at age thirty six. Oh my goodness! Wow. I'm not a grandmother yet. You know, and and that's no, okay I, with me. I'm not a grandmother yet. Yeah, no, I'm yeah. I'm fine with that. My my sister is, so I can hang out with my grandniece and, and make my grandniece call me Auntie Auntie Ho Ho, Great Auntie Ho Ho, because oh, I, I can choose that. that. Yeah, yeah. You know, so. I, I used to say um, my nickname was always Heidi Ho, and then I used to say I've been a Ho all my life. But then the millennials look at me and like, oh my God, she's a prostitute. So yeah, yeah. she was a prostitute. <laughs> I'm like, God. Yeah. I'm like, really? Yeah. Get over yourself. <laughs> yeah, language language changes, doesn't it, over the years? <laughs> it, it does. I'm thinking, it does. 
I'm thinking of my, my college friend that, who was named gay, you know, and gosh, that, you know, that has implications now that it never had 30, 40 years ago, you know, but, uh, oh, well. Yes. Oh, well. Life, life goes on. Yeah. It, well, it and, does. you know, the other, the other thing that we need to talk about is, um, or at least what I think we need to talk about is, you know, there are some high points of having breast cancer. I mean, I don't know about you, but have, did you develop any kind of a different outlook on life? Yeah. Oh, certainly. Yeah. I, I, I think that I forgot to, 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 you know, be grateful for every day that I'm on earth. And yeah. um, now I am. Now if I see a sunset or sunrise, I'm like, yeah, this is pretty cool. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. You know, to the, to, yeah. to God or the higher power or whatever you believe in. I, I'm, I'm grateful for every day that I am on this earth still. And, and there's a yeah. reason. I know there's a reason why I had to go on this journey. I just haven't figured it out yet. But I will one day. Mm-hmm. And then people will know. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I think that, you know, for me, uh, my relationship with my children um, became much closer, much closer. Um, you know, I, I had, uh, you know, one child that she and I have always had kind of a, you know, headbutting, love each other desperately. You know, I mean, there's no question about that. But you know how sometimes the mothers and daughters can do the thing, you know. And, um, mm-hmm. boy, with that breast cancer diagnosis, both of my kids just, boom, they were there. No question, we, whatever I needed, whatever I wanted, however I, you know, they were there and they made it very clear to me that I was integral in their lives, even though they're older and, you know, not little kids anymore and and that they want me around and they want me to be in their lives. And that's pretty darn gratifying. And I think that a lot of times people don't have the opportunity to hear that from their children. Um, so, no, they, they don't. Yeah, and in that respect, you know, getting cancer was a little bit of a gift to me uh, that way. Um, so I think, you know, like every, like everything, you can always find some pluses, even in the worst of circumstances, you know. And I always mm-hmm. hate people who go, oh, well, it, you know, it could have been worse. It could have been worse. Yes, of course, it could have been worse. And um, I, I, when I was going through my mastectomies, I had a friend like that, and I went, oh, this, this is hurting or that's bothering me or whatever. And she goes, well, it could be worse. My mother never had reconstructive surgery. It could be worse. My mother, you know. And, <laughs> And my daughter and I started laughing about it. And we were going, well, it could have been worse. Your head could have been chopped off and not had it re-sewn back on. I mean, it can always be worse, you know. Um, but sometimes you just need to acknowledge that this is pretty darn bad. You know, yes, it can be worse, but please just let me wallow for a moment. Um, and I think that that's – go ahead. No, no, no. I'm disagreeing with you. Yeah. It, it, yeah. it, it could have been worse. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I had, my daughter and I had a lot of fun thinking up, you know, oh, darn, I broke a nail. Could be worse. Your whole entire hand could have fallen off. We'd be happy that you, you know, sprained your finger. You know, okay, I'm happy, you know. Um, but I think sometimes we uh, we can carry that a little bit too far because people are entitled <laughs> to acknowledge and, and deal with their pain however they need to do that. Um, and right, think, and, and, I, and, and if you're going through this, don't be afraid to tell your oncologist or whomever that you're in pain and they'll get you palliative care. Take advantage of the fact that they're going to put you on medication for a while because this stuff hurts like hell. And if you want to yeah. function, 
go ahead, get the palliative care. It's okay. You're not going to be addicted to whatever the media is saying. You know, you're not going to get hooked on oxy, and, and you're not going to be down in the streets of Seattle shooting up heroin. You're in yeah. pain. You're entitled to, to take care of that pain. Do it. Exactly. And you're allowed to to grow with that and learn that and to, yes, of course, move past it. But sometimes it takes longer than we, than other people around us want for us to deal with it and mm-hmm. move past it, I think. And those other people can just go suck rocks because we, it takes us as long as it's going to take us. And that's but, that. And, that's, and on that note, Heidi, yeah. <laughs> I think we've eaten up our time frame here, but I've enjoyed talking with you. I've, I've enjoyed having this kind of frank and open discussion. And um, I hope, I hope that this helps other people who have had what we have had or who are going to be getting what we have had. Um, and I think it's good to talk about it. I think it's good to laugh about it. And I think it's good to cry about it. And it's good to just incorporate it into your life because it is what it is. And it makes us, it it makes us who we are. It, it makes us stronger and it humbles us and and it makes us find out that you know there's a reason for family and and they're they're gonna stick with you through thick and thin. When I was first diagnosed, I told my husband. I just called him up and I said, "You ready to fight?" And he said, "Yep." And we did. And yeah. um, this this is a, a terrible thing to have to go through, and I'm not making light of it. It's nice to have the boobs of a twenty-year-old. I, I will not deny that, but but um, I've, I've been through hell and back, and and um, I don't like that other side. That's not a fun side to be on, and it's okay I to always, sit on your pity pot, but don't sit on it too yeah. long. Exactly. Well, and I always say that, you know, I I guess this reconstruction, I always call it our booby prize. You know. Yeah. <laughs> All right. On that sad note. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to wrap up our show. Thank you very much, okay. Heidi Wallace, for being with us and sharing your experiences and being so open about it. And I hope everybody benefits from it. And, uh, you know, have a, have a good week. And join us again next week for Three Women and Three Ways. Thanks, Heather. Appreciate it. <laughs>